You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. We're going to continue now in 1 John, and we'll pick up in chapter 2. And this has been a series I've been doing. We're going to pick up uh, verses 3 and 6. But before, I'd like to do a real quick recap. If you remember, we see that John's witness of Christ is true and it's personal. He speaks that God is light and that our natural response is to walk in his light. John defines sin as walking outside of, of light, walking in the shadows, walking in the darkness. Then we spend a, a, a fair amount of time on the wonder of confession. Uh, we learn that confession is not about shame or punishment. Instead, we learn that confession is completely relational. Our focus in confession is the restoration of relationship, one that's been damaged by sin. And we discuss the role of Jesus as advocacy, as Savior, mediator, and redeemer in the process of perfecting our relationship. His advocacy is not that of a lawyer trying to convince the Father to forgive us. He won that on the cross 2,000 years ago. This is about restoring relationship. So today we're going to continue, and we're going to examine the verses that confirm that we indeed know God, that we're in an intimate, experiential relationship with him, and by this we know him. So let's pick up uh, 1 John 2, verses 3 through 6. There's somebody in this congregation that prefers the King James Version. So we're going to use the new King, King James Version today. Is that dynamite? Okay. Now, by this we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who abides in him ought to, ought to himself also walk just as he walked. Now, before I go further, it must be understood that um, in our intimate, personal, revelatory, intimate relationship, this is what flows from it, is our knowing him. So our obeying the commandments doesn't mean we know him. So you know, remember in math, it's A equals B, but B doesn't equal A. So you would make an arrow, A flows, B flows from A. So that's what I'm, so please don't get it, so, so the enemy loves to trap you into this sense of legalness that, okay, now I'm going to white knuckle it, I'm going to do all these things without a relationship. And so it's just the opposite. So let's not get into that, all right? So let's first look at a couple of questions in the text itself. The him here, it says, talks about him, is God the Father. But we may have a question, what commandments are, is he talking about? I don't see the Ten Commandments in here at all. I don't, John doesn't speak about the Mosaic Commandments at all. He, in the next chapter, will actually give us the answer, and he pretty much sums it right up in verse 23. and says, And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, as he gave us commandment, or as he commanded us. So we have two commands. To believe on the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and to love one another. And so when you go back to that verse 3, there's an important word there. It says keep. Keep his commandment. 
Now, it's really close to obey, but it's not quite the same. To keep it, it carries with it more something like to watch over, to guard it. It's to, to hold firmly, which is slightly different than obey. Uh, John uses it. See, I got my doctor of hermeneutics here, Rick Francis. Anytime that you want to figure out what a word means, find out if that guy's used it before and see how he uses it there. So John uses that in his gospel in, verse, in chapter 17. He uses the word keep. And we're going to look at verse 11. It says, I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. Talking about people. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep, keep through your name those who, who have, you have given me that they may be one as we are. He says, keep them. Jesus is praying that the Father holds, watches, protects the, the, those of us that are left behind when Jesus leaves. This keeping involves our heart. It's our vigilance to remain within, to remain within the will of God that we know and that we love. It's, we're guarding our heart from the crafty enemies that try, seek to move us out of the light. So this keeping is a heartfelt keeping, a guarding. Sometimes the word keep is used for a sentry, like a, like a security guard, to keep. So, so it's obvious, you know, and if our position is, is not like this, and it says we're a liar, then that's kind of, it's kind of obvious. But the other part, though, says the truth is not in him. So what he's saying there is his knowledge is not knowledge. It's, it sits on the surface. It hasn't really sunk in. So it's like the person that says, I know I need to quit smoking. I know I got to quit smoking. But keep smoking. His knowledge is not knowledge. Because if it was, he'd quit. And I know this guy. And for a long time, I didn't quit. But finally, I had a real good teacher, throat cancer. <laughs> so, but really, this is how we learn. This is how it sinks in, and we, we say, now I know it. I get it. You know, verse 5 really touches me. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And by this, we know we are in him. The love of God here refers to our love being perfected, being made per complete. So when the, you see the word perfected, it means fit, brought out to its intended end, completed. So it, it equates our love with our willingness to keep the commandments, to keep his, 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 him within our hearts. You remember, do you remember when I talked about God's love language? And, it, and then it was keeping him first in all things. And at that time, I was doing it uh, about finances. This is kind of another part of his love language. It's, it's his word dwelling in our hearts, being protected, guarded, and, and stewarded. It's the way... It's similar to the way someone would, would hold on to love letters or cards or, or other expressions of affection. And then you read them over and over again because you hold them very dear. That's keeping. So it's not about duty. It's not about guilt. It's just a natural expression of love. Now we'll get to verse 6. Verse 6 is really important in, in John's theology. And really, it's, it's throughout the Paul's too. It says, he who abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. 
You know, many of us see the sinless life of Christ as walking as Jesus walked. And that, he, he's not talking about that here. He already dealt with sin earlier. He's talking about something very, very deep, very different. He's saying that if we abide in him, that we're in him, and because we're in him, we will walk like Jesus walked, and we will do what the Father asks us to do and say what the Father asks us to say. That's the walk he's talking about. He's not talking about a walk of a sinless life. The word ought carries a lot of weight. Sometimes it's translated as might. And so this is something that's a natural reaction to our circumstances. This is not something that's forced and that we, you know, but it's just as Jesus would react. It literally means that when we love our enemies, it's because we naturally react to that person in love. That's a process. So that's what, we're, that's what it talks about, being perfected in love. Up to, up to this point, most of us are going along, yeah, that's good, that's good, I'm with that. And it says, got to walk like Jesus walked. It kind of shakes us up a little bit. But we're really held to this declaration. It says must. And it's not, a, it's not a, it's a good idea type point. So let's talk about walking like Jesus walked. I want to take us to the Gospel of John. Interestingly, because it's kind of the theme today. John 7. And we're going to look at verses 37 and 39. 339. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, this is the Feast of Tabernacles. This is the, the biggest feast of the year for the Jews. That's why they just call it the Feast. There are three main ones, and that's, that's, that's their biggest. Um, so they look back in their desert wandering. They look in when God was for the provision for water and food. And, and it, all of this was a miracle. The heavens and earth came together when they were in the desert. God dwelt with them. He dwelt with his people like he dwelt with his people in Eden. And so they're celebrating the present also. It's sort of their harvest festival. And so they're, they're, their bins are full. They've made all their wine and everything now in the present. But the other part is, and this is where Jesus was, is when they're celebrating the water part of the festival and they're looking forward to the end time. The end time temple, that from that temple flows streams of living water. And so... And any time that the Bible talks about living water, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is declaring that in him, he has come and tabernacles with them, just like John says in John 1. And in him is the new temple. He's the source of the living water. So that heaven and earth have overlapped again in his presence, just like in the desert era. And, but he goes another message to you and me. And this is where it's really important. Those who believe in him, out of us should flow living water. In us is the new temple. We being indwelt by the Holy Spirit as an outflowing river. That's the picture. That we are the source of the living water. Heaven and earth overlap in his sons and daughters. 
Remember the first commandment is to believe in him. He who believes is the, the, the requisite for that to happen. So all of us that believe, we are a source of living water. And you really, sometimes we underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us, and we try to hold him in. Doesn't matter, you're going to leak anyway. But, but you can really flow. You can really flow if you allow him. And then I want to move over to ch chapter 20, also in the Gospel of John. And this, this is an important passage right here. It says, Then, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. For if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Jesus brings his power into his, their presence by twice saying peace. I believe the first peace was to change the atmosphere. He said, he said peace, he showed them his wounds, and then they were glad to see him. Sounds to me like they weren't too excited to begin with. They were a little afraid. Then he says peace to them again. And I think that one penetrated him. God wants peace to penetrate us. And then he gave a command. As Jesus was sent by the Father, so we are sent. That's, that means we've been sent to destroy evil and to destroy sin and to proclaim the good news, making disciples of all, to all the nations. They watched Jesus for three and a half years, and I'll tell you, they had to be dumbfounded at the task. I'm dumbfounded at the task when you read it and say, I've got to be just like what Jesus was. But he breathed on them and gave them the Holy Spirit. You know, if we go to John 16, he talks about that briefly. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. They absolutely were, they had to have suddenly remembered that moment when he said, breathe in the Holy Spirit. But only now, they learn something new. They're not, they're not going to be spectators when the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. They're going to be active participants just as Jesus was and just as we are. So yes, the Holy Spirit has come, but we participate in this. God loves to take his created beings and have them step into the roles for which he, he created them. And that's what we're created for. Angels are created to be messengers, and so he always sends them to be the messenger. God could have gone to Mary and said, oh, by the way, Mary, you're about to have a baby. He sent a messenger, because that's how he, they, he created the messengers. So we are created to do this. This is the role for which we were created. So don't miss that. 
And I want you to look at this one more time for one little thing. On last Friday in the text was the sixth day of the week. And on that day, they heard Pilate proclaim, Eke homo, behold the man on the sixth day. On the seventh day, Jesus was, had died. On the sixth day, he dies. On the seventh day, he rests. And what does this passage twice say? On the first day of the week, twice it makes that proclamation. Once for Mary Magdalene and once here. And he breathes life into them. God's re-establishing life again, like creation again. He is, says, that by this, that's how the kingdom has come. This is the first day of the new kingdom on earth. And I think we can't miss that first day of the week being proclaimed twice. He didn't just say it's on a Sunday. He makes sure they hear it's the first day. You know, John's logic is really simple. If you are in Christ, in union with him, in oneness with him, in family with him, it then follows that you're a partaker of the divine nature. And thus you're equipped to be able to walk the way Jesus walked. And how did he walk? What was the source of his supernatural human, humanness? Matthew 4.1, Jesus was led by the Spirit. Luke 4.1, Jesus was filled by the Spirit. In John 8.29, Jesus was dependent on the Spirit. We must be filled, led, and dependent on the Spirit in our walk as Jesus. And then we'll look at the three and a half years of Christ, and we'll learn how to walk just like Jesus walked, the nuances that he had. Jesus is saying that if you are in him, then you have the power, the dunamis power, to imitate his walk as a man. You're never going to be deity. We weren't created deity because deities aren't created. We're going to walk as Jesus walked as a man. Now, if your heart is a little convicted this morning, and that's actually okay. If you're feeling like, wow, I'm not coming close to this. You know, I think that's the reason that John made confession, the section right before this section. And so that way, uh, we're able to respond in a healthy, relational manner. No one can work walk perfectly as Jesus did in his humanity. So we confess to be restored and seek revelation and power in our loving relationship with God. Don't miss that. The moment you feel like you've stepped out and you're not walking as Jesus walked, confess. And he'll restore your grace and power every time. Because this is not about a sinless life. This is about a life that is being made complete, being made perfect in our walk with Christ. And so that we walk like Jesus walked. So our measuring is not demerits that you look on your report card. Your measurement is when you read about Jesus, do you see things that you're doing that Jesus is doing? How many lepers have you touched? And I'm, I'm using that because I, I use that as an outcast. Who are we touching? Who are we speaking to? You know, walking by the Spirit may not be spectacular or swift. It may not be like running or flying even, but it's steady and it's sure and it's always in one direction. Steady progress, glory by glory every day. So every time we respond to God, whether it be time that we spend in prayer, 
whether it be time in his word, whether it be time with another person in witness, we have just taken another step in our walk with Christ. Another step. What did Jesus do? Jesus prayed. What did Jesus do? Jesus quoted the word over and over. What did Jesus do? He reached out to people. All of those are aspects of our walk with Christ. So if you think it's only evangelism, that's not necessarily true. We can't do evangelism if we haven't been in, in, in time of prayer. And what are we going to tell them? We don't know the word. So we, all of these are parts of this. Don't miss any of the three parts, though. Some of us really bog down in prayer, and we don't even read the word. Some of us read the word, and we don't pray. Some of us do the, two of them and never speak to anyone. It's like have, having the book of Revelation and not telling anybody the end. Sometimes you just got to proclaim the end. You know, when Jesus shed his blood of the new covenant, he secured at an infinite cost not only the forgiveness of our sins, and you can always look at Jeremiah 31 for that, but also God's writing of the Torah in our hearts. And I've been up here before talking about what Torah means. It means the heart of God for us in our walk in life. That's what Torah means. And so by the blood of the covenant, we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit as promised by Ezekiel. In 36.27, probably most of you have heard this phrase, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Where's the power coming from? He doesn't say, I will put my spirit in you and demand you keep my commandments. I will cause you. The source of our strength to do as he asks is the Holy Spirit. We can't miss that. So a lot of times when Jesus, or anywhere in the Bible where it tells us we have a commandment, love one another, it means I'm going to empower you because that's who you are now. I'm empowering you to do this. So this is the grand achievement of the blood of the new covenant. The commandments of the New Testament are not here to expose sin. They're, they're given to us to fill us with the grace to live the kind of life he lived and to be the kind of church he established here on the earth. They're given to us so that by doing them by faith in Christ's power, yes, the blood of his, uh, the, the power of his blood, that we might have abundant joy in his power as his powers are perfected in us. Perfected in our weakness. And that we might have more joy in Christ himself. So I invite each of us today, right now, to receive the peace of God. We have a new and everlasting covenant. A covenant that brings us into complete relationship because there's no barriers between us and the God, God any longer. That we receive this new covenant in the power of his blood. That we know that we never have to step out of relationship, but we know that he'll never step out of relationship with us. So if right now you're wondering if, you're, if, you, if you can be saved, the answer is yes. Jesus is saying, step in, take a drink, and come with me. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.